Hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and I will be the cruise director for this episode today. This episode is brought to you by Don C. and Christina. Don C. and Christina went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Don C. and Christina, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are glad you are all here with us today, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery and to the podcast as a whole. This is a show about recovery centered around the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Recovery. This program is for anyone considering recovery, interested in recovery, or actually trudging the road of happy destiny of recovery today. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb. But that's enough of all that stuff. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode today. So, I have my friend Tony D with me here today. Tony, welcome to Silver Speak. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. great to be here. Um, and uh, I have asked Tony to bring in something that, uh, you know, and everyone struggles with this. Tony even talked about it before we began. Picking one thing out of the literature that means something to you to read. Uh, and I know, Tony, and I'm going to talk about this in just a little bit, I know he reads a lot of the literature, and I have uh, written proof of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, But I'm going to let you read whatever you brought along today, Tony. Well, as you mentioned, it's really hard. There's so much great stuff in the big book and the 12 and 12, but this is what um, I hung on to. Uh, so on page 44 from We Agnostics, At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope that we were not true alcoholics. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. So, talk about that a little bit. I mean, why does that, out of all the readings, stand out to you? Because I think the biggest hurdle, obstacle, hump for me to get over... Mm -hmm as I came into Alcoholics Anonymous was facing the fact that I'm an alcoholic. I would rather have had any other kind of torture (laughs) or affliction. I mean, um, all of the connotations that I had. Yeah, and what are those connotations? Because you're not the only one who has them. Yeah, you know, they get, you know, the... The uh, dirty old man that lives under a bridge in a brown paper bag and, um, you know, homeless and, you know, uh, failure, Um, all of those things, those things did not look like me. And um, on top of that, my father um, is an alcoholic, and he's been sober since 83, October of 83. Ah, so you had some exposure to the... And I'm assuming, has he been sober through Alcoholics Anonymous? He did, got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh Um, You know, and I remember um, my mother telling me when I was a young man, um, you better be careful, you know, because there's some of this stuff in your family. Yeah. And I always thought, yeah, but I'm not weak like they are. Right. 
Um, so it, it, it really was um, a huge barrier for me to be able to face the fact that I had all of this evidence that um, I was successful in life and I was not a failure alcoholic. Yeah. And it was tough to swallow. Yeah. So I want to dive into that a little bit because I'm, you know, you, you uh, uh, have had some measure of success, we should say. Uh, I guess it's all relative, right? Mm -hmm. But from my perspective, uh, Mm -hmm. within the business world, Mm -hmm. right? And I know you're a very, uh, or uh, you talk about being a competitive guy, if we will. uh, And uh, a lot of that competitiveness mm, uh, bled over into the business world for you. So um, talk about that a little bit. Like how... um, how your alcoholism played into that and then maybe how it's different now on the other side and how you see it today. Well, I think uh, the first thing that comes to my mind listening to you is it's all about uh, faith and my relationship with God. And, and as you mentioned, um, I played competitive sports most of my life. That's my mindset. Um, you know, in the uh, I grew up in Euless, Texas, which was a small town in the 80s, and uh, we had a terrific football team. And uh, the NFL was on strike, and uh, SMU was on probation. So if you wanted to watch football in Texas, high school was all you had. And, <laughs> and we were hometown heroes. I mean, um, you know, and celebrities, literally. Um, but I... Um, in Euless, for those who don't know, is a smaller town between Dallas and Fort Worth. It's getting bigger yeah. all the time yeah. now. It, but, it all uh, just kind of blends together. Right, now. it does. But, um, you know, athletic competition uh, was, was at the center of, um, you know, everything I did. For, was there some particular sport that you were more drawn well, to? Well, of course, if you're in Texas in the 80s, you got to play football, <laughs> right? Um, and I talked to my, my both I have two boys, and uh, they're big into soccer. And, you know, if I could go back and do things over again, I probably would choose a different path. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a ball. Um, but, um, you know... Uh, Athletics and then faith, um, you know, as a little boy, um, you know, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. I was baptized when I was six years old. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, being explained to me by the Sunday school teacher that, you know, if, if you pray this prayer, um, you'll live forever in, um, you know, paradise with Jesus. And if you don't, you'll okay. suffer for eternity in hell. And, what six-year-old is, right. is going to make, you know, choice, choose door number two. Right. Um, and, um, you know, all through, um, you know, even after college, um, you know, really hard working uh, in the church and part of the church. Um, and so I guess that um, I kind of came to believe that I was on God's team. And I was wearing God's jersey, and um, <laughs> if I worked so hard uh, for all the things that I believed were right, uh, things should go my way. And uh, life doesn't work that way. Um, so there, the, there was a time where, um, you know, I had faith, and I lost it. Um, but that competitive drive was always there. Um, you know, still is to right. some degree. I don't, I'm not a sore loser, right? <laughs> but um, I like to play and I like to win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And so, so coming, uh, and we'll go back in a little bit, but just, uh, I've seen a lot of people in the program before who come in with that very hard competitive drive, especially in business, right? In business is everything, so to speak. Uh, and then they get sober and they realize that, well, yeah, you know, I still want to do well in business, but it's not everything. There's another aspect of life. Did you go through any of that when you got sober? Oh, sure. Um, and it, it's it's a double-edged situation um, because there's, you know, one of the things I've, I've heard uh, in the rooms uh, that stuck with me was there are no big deals in life. Um, and that's really good. Uh, advice for me. It's really good words for me because um, um, before I, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and before I got sober, I um, on the scale of one to ten, um, you know, I tried to make every day an eleven, and um, you know, people get in your way and things <laughs> happen, and that took me to a zero. And so I spent all my time at, at zero or 11 um, emotionally, yeah. you know, and spiritually. So What um, got you up to the 11? Was it business deals or was it I, just... I, I really think that um, it had something to do with my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely responsible. I'm the oldest of three. Um, and as I mentioned, my father was an alcoholic. And so mom had to hold it all together and I played a role um, different than most kids or you know a role that kids probably shouldn't have to play in perfect circumstances Mm -hmm. I had to be a grown-up you know way ahead of time yeah um, you know to make sure everything's all buttoned up and little brother and little sister don't get into any trouble and you know it I had to start playing that role when I was in the, you know, fifth or sixth grade, you know, as I recall. Wow. So your responsibility level was uh, uh, heightened uh, before it should have been. Probably unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, all right. So let's let's talk then a little bit about your your background, right? I know you've you've talked about your mom, your father. You're the oldest of three. Uh, talk to me about your background and you know where you came from, just so people can identify with that. And also, just real quick, if you could give your sobriety date, if you would, please. Oh yeah, sure. Um, well, I surrendered on May the twentieth, two thousand twelve. May. Um, I had my last drink at the Lubbock, Texas International Airport. <laughs> I think there's one flight from Mexico that comes in every day. Um, and I'm a native Texan. I grew up in North, was born in Texas, grew up in North Texas, um, you know, church going family. Um, you know, I feel like. Did you feel when you were growing up like everything was okay, or did you have some sort of sense that I, it was not okay? I felt like we had the greatest family ever. Gotcha. Um, I felt like. You know, we lived in a great neighborhood. Um, in fact, uh, I still am in touch with some people who who lived in that neighborhood back in those times. And, you know, we talk about the wonder years, you know, kind of memories mm-hmm. uh, that we have there. Um, um, you know, Dad was more of an entrepreneur, uh, so we had good times and tough times. Right. Um, and Mom finally... Um, you know, figured out that I guess that she needed to um, get a career in nursing um, when it came time to 
try to hold it all together. Um, And so, like I said, you know, I growing up in North Texas and playing sports all year long. I mean, and all the people that I ran with, you know, were um, people that went to church and people that played sports with me. Um, And that was life. Mm -hmm. So when did you have your first drink? Uh, You know, I really am not sure. Um, I I think that uh, my dad's dad, um, um, I believe he and his wife were alcoholics as well. Um, They both um, have passed away. Uh, But there was a lot of drinking at their house. And their house was, um, you know, one of my favorite places, you Mm -hmm. know, in the entire world. Um, Very social kind of place? It was a place of peace and safety um a place where i was always welcome where i didn't have to um um, play a role or Mm -hmm. succeed it was a place where i could just be but i remember um you know my grandfather probably um got me to take a sip of beer or two um you know before i was a teenager yeah but i don't really remember that um but he did, um, you know, I remember he drank ancient age, you know, whiskey, I think it is. <laughs> and he had the half gallon glass bottle, you know, and I knew where it was in the cabinet underneath the sink. And he would sit in his chair and he would hand me his glass and tell me, you know, put a jigger uh, of uh, whiskey in there and a, and a little and two waters you know and you know i'd run go get it for him and take it back to him that's what he worked hard Mm -hmm. um he was uh he was a cobbler and um a cobbler repaired boots and shoes um in mckinney Mm -hmm. um and uh he would work um 11 hours six days a day six days a week and then he would come home sit in his chair and you know right break Relax mm-hmm. before he goes back and That's does right. it the next day. That's right. All right. So, but when do you remember like uh, your first kind of? Uh, do you remember your first drunk? Yeah. Well, there's one that that really comes to mind. It actually was on my first business trip. Was kind of a oh really? Trip. Okay. So it sounds to me then like you kind of got through your teenage years and you got through college. Oh yeah. Without being scathed. There, in if fact, you will. there was no drinking in high school. The crowd that I run with, uh-huh. uh, that I ran with, we were all uh, really good all American kids. We were church going kids. I think I feel like I had a special. Um, group of friends um in my class and my age and i actually i still i run into like teachers and things from time to time who will still say the same thing but it was it was kind of cool to be uh good kids yeah yeah um and we were a fun crowd and, and i felt like people wanted to be with us we were friends with everyone um so you know how you have uh the stereotypical you know, jocks and ropers and, you know, dope heads or whatever. Um, We were friends with everybody. We welcomed everybody and included everybody. Um, So what was your question? So when, when, so my my question was, when, when did you have your first drunk? And then you're kind of sort of talking about after college. So I went through high school, you know, my circle, none of us drank. And when people did, we took care of them. Um, and then I went to college. What do you mean by took care of them? Made sure they got home safe, made sure gotcha. they didn't get in any trouble. Gotcha. Oh, you don't um, mean beat them up? No. no. <laughs> okay. No. Just, just wondering. Um, you know, we, 
in some cultures, right? In some cultures, when you say we, we took care but of, but that's them. the thing that I think was was really neat is we didn't, you know, uh, separate ourselves from um, people. We, you know, we were there at uh, Grapevine Lake on the point in the middle of the night with the bonfire and all this, you know, the trunks of the cars raised with all playing the same radio station really loud, and people were. You know, doing what they do. We were there with all of them. We weren't partaking in any of that, a right. lot of us. And so, you know, a lot of what I'm picking up from this is, you know, like you said earlier, there is a, uh, a typical uh, impression, if you will, of an alcoholic and how they were growing up. Yep. You know, they started smoking weed when they're 13. They're yep. drinking heavily by the time they're 15, 16. And, and you know, and, but the truth is, is that we come from all sorts of backgrounds, yeah. right? And uh, and you uh, are breaking the mold here, and I just want people to see that. So uh, let's go up to college, yeah. or right after. So you got through college. Yeah. You're a pretty good kid through college, sounds like. Well, that's where um, I... That's probably where I began, you know, the takeoff of my drinking career. But, you know, I think there's there's an interesting thing that comes to mind as, as I talked about the small town high school football and, and being celebrities in the community. Like and then, Friday Night Lights. You bet. Um, and then you go off to college and you become student number 103456531 and nobody cares. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that it brings to mind, you know, I've heard um, alcoholism is a disease. I was very skeptical about that mm-hmm. for a long time, and I've heard it's a disease of feelings and perceptions. Um, you know, and so you get to college, and um, you're used to being treated like you're a big deal, and now you're just another student. Um, you know, I think there are feelings in that transition that become uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, and you know I drank socially I had friends that drank I drank only beer and I never got in any trouble mm-hmm. um, you know and it, uh, as long as I drank beer you know, I would get sleepy and go to bed before you know I would get to a point where I lost my senses or did anything stupid mm-hmm. so uh, that worked really well for me through college so even all the way through college you had no I mean really the 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 uh, I guess what you would call the uh, the craving that happens once you take that first drink it had not developed quite yet correct mm, well I I I guess I'd have to say because of my upbringing um, in Southern Baptist Church you know drinking was bad right it was right. bad right. dancing and drinking and you know <laughs> if even if you go to summer camp the boys have a time for the swimming pool and the girls have a time for the swimming pool and they don't mix uh-huh. right. Um, so I think I stiff armed it for a long time, especially with, um, you know, my parents' background and what I went through and the, and the self thought that I'm not weak like they are. Um, and combine that with the, um, 11 year old grown up responsibility. Um, I had to keep it, you know, together. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the expectation that I put on myself. 
Um, but I remember in college that it's funny you asked that. One of the things we used to love to do on Thursday night, we went to a place called Crossroads, and so did every other college student. And which college was it? This was Stephen F. Austin oh, yeah, in Nacogdoches. Yeah. And Crossroads had quarter beer night on Thursday night, and they usually had live music, and sometimes they had, you know, really <laughs> big acts. Like I saw Eric Johnson there uh, one time. I think the Steve Miller Band was there one time. <laughs> Um, but quarter beer night yeah. on Thursday night at Crossroads, I would find myself on Sunday afternoon looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not normal. <laughs> you know, after, <laughs> right. after I've spent, you know, all weekend drinking beer yeah. since the prior Thursday right. um, and shutting it down Thursday afternoon to get ready for the week, I'm already thinking about next Thursday. Yeah. Um, if you have that, you might <laughs> be an alcoholic. Right. That's not normal. Right. Um, so, so, so you got past college, and uh, now uh, when did it start to pick up? Well, um, so I got out of college, and, um, you know, I had a job, and I continued to, you know, drink um, occasionally on weekends, you know, beer only, you know, for the next um, several years. Um, I took my first business trip um, with the company that I'm still with, um, you know, for over 28 years. Wow. Um, you know, back in 1990. Okay. And um, we were at an embassy suite. So this was a group of us that uh, came from all over the country for a training class. Mm-hmm. And we met at this embassy suites and... They, you know, they still do this some places where they have the manager's cocktail hour or the happy hour yeah. in the lobby. And um, we were meeting and greeting each other. And um, I was having a discussion with somebody else who was there and, and asked what they were drinking. Um, and they were having a gin and tonic. And uh, Look good? Well, they said it was terrific. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would try one of those. And um, I did. Um, and I drank it down just like I would a beer. Um, so I had to go get another one because it disappeared pretty quick. Right. And, um, you know, then after that, we all went to dinner. And I remember um, all of us ordering food. But between the time that we ordered and the time that the food showed up, it hit me. <laughs> and um, I wasn't able to eat you know, I was I was just out, um, you know, and uh, I remember everything, uh, but, you know, I just felt so bad that my head was in my plate and people took me back um, to the hotel and I slept it off. Yeah. So that's the first time you remember kind of that's uh, the first going one over that, the limit. Yeah, so that's speak. the first one that sticks out in my mind where, you know, something happened to me where I did not have control. And so take me past that. So, uh, but, so how many years was it from that point until you actually made your first meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh, a long time. Uh, 22 years. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. can you summarize yeah. those 22 years for me? Well, I think, uh, you know, again, the, the strong sense of responsibility and alcohol being a bad thing. Um, so um, around that time, Four years after that time, um, I got married, um, and I got married to a girl who um, whose parents were alcoholic, and um, I made a promise, you know, that there would be no drinking. 
Um, when you say no drinking, no drinking, like at the wedding or in the house or a little bit of both? I'm just, not going to be a drinker. Oh, you're right? not going to be a drinker. Right? Um, and it was, you know, once in a while. Because she knew the dangers of alcoholism as well. That's right. From her parents. That's right? right. Now, were you drinking during your courtship with her? Yes. Okay. But never around her. Gotcha. Um, so we, you know, we would do typical 20 something year old guy stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Poker games and, you know, go to the Rangers game. And we still played a lot of sports together, softball and have a beer afterwards and things like that. But, you know, it was never, um, I got to have, you know, alcohol around. It was just, um, it was just kind of always there um, for certain things, certain, certain events, but it wasn't, it wasn't a need at all. Yeah. Um, I think, um, so we, we got married, and I had made a promise that there would be no drinking. And from time to time, um, you know, she accompanied me on um, business events, um, special occasions. You know, I would ask for her permission to have a beer or two, and that's kind of how it went for, um, you know, the next from, you know, when we got married in '94 to um, '97 or '98. Okay. Um, so something turned in '97 or '98. It, it, it did, and this this. I mean, it's hard to explain all this in the context, but you remember I talked about, um, you know, I was on God's team. Right. And I was wearing his jersey. Right. And and I thought that that meant things were supposed to work out my way. And um, so we, uh, uh, right after we got married, we moved from Texas to Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were on our own. when you say on your own, no family support around. Yeah, or it's like she's an identical twin, and it's the first time she'd oh, lived away from her sister, and we were away from family, um, and um, we lived there for three years, and then we moved to California. Okay. Um, and both of these assignments for me were um, new manufacturing facility startups, mm-hmm. um, where I had a management position and um, really heavy workload, mm-hmm. really. Um, Significant expectations, um, really stressful. Do you have kids at this time? We, uh, my, my first one was born while we were in Utah, and mm-hmm. when we got to California, he was about six months old. Um, so we, uh, in California, uh, there's, uh, you know, a very specific memory um, that pops up where, you know, I was feeling really frustrated, uh, working really hard. Um, lots of hours, tired, um, and, you know, honestly, um, probably you could wrap it all up into self-pity, right? And I, um, I came home one night after a really long day. It was about 9 o'clock, and um, in my mind, I had um, forecasted, you know, what needed to happen. And what needed to happen was I... I needed to have a um, pretty, playful, um, happy wife meet me at the door (laughs) (laughs) and um, serve me something hot to eat and have a, you know, a nice evening and go to sleep. And um, that's not what I got. Um, She, you know, and when I look back on this um, and I put myself in her shoes, um, how tired and lonely, you know, she must have been. And, you know, she's moved in a place where she doesn't know anybody. She's got a six-month-old. Right. Right. So 
she not sleeping well at night. Um, and I'm gone most of the time. So, you know, when I came home that night, um, you know, she was wiped out, tired, and ready to go to bed. And I'm on my own uh, for dinner. And, you know, I didn't even get to see, you know, my son. And I just, you know, um, became so angry um, that... Um, and part of what led up to this was we had had a uh, we'd had a business function where I got voluntold yeah. um, to um, get the alcohol inventory. So um, I had um, purchased an assortment of, of things uh, for this event, and um, I had um, the leftovers um, in a box in my garage. Wow! And um, so. I went straight out to the garage and, you know, I drank straight out of a vodka bottle and just really angry. Gotcha. So up until that point, I had really stiff-armed my drinking and had been real responsible with it. I gave myself over to it in that moment. So you crossed another line. I crossed the line and it was on. And did you know it that night, or did you know it in the coming weeks after that? No, I I knew that night. I I was done because, um, again, I'm on God's team, and they're holding me on every play, and he's not throwing a flag. (laughs) It's not working out the way you wanted it to. It's not. All right, let me do this little thing here in the middle of this, all right, and we'll get back. We'll get back to our conversation with Tony D, TD, in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the worldwide interweb. I think I've heard you say that before, interweb. interweb at yeah. soberspeak.com. Uh, there you will find ah, 25 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also uh, click on the donate button if you would like, if you move. Please remember, Sober Speak is self-supporting through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. And please feel free, and I wish you would reach out to us at feedback at soberspeak.com. Now back to Tony D. All right, so you... You've come out of this, uh, you're, you, you, you've gone, you've drank at the world, so to speak, maybe for the first time. Yep. You realize that you have unleashed a monster, if you will, in your world. Uh, now, and so how far was it from that point until you actually got into to AA? How many years is that now? Uh, it still would have been 16 years away. 16 years away? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you had... All right. Um, what do you want to reference during that 16 years before we get into your recovery? Well, hey, no, I will ask you. Sorry, 12, 12 years. Okay, 12 years, 12 yep. years yep. before you get there. Um, I have heard you tell a story before, which absolutely cracks me up. Okay? <laughs> uh, do you know where I'm going with this? No, I don't. Uh, okay, I'm so, sure I'll remember. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you said, talking about blackouts... You said you came to one night and you were in the corner of your bedroom. Oh, you remember yeah, that? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did, can I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> can I let you take it from there? Yeah, that's whenever we read um, um, the section in the book that talks about um, alcohol brings up connotations of happy times and joyous <laughs> fellowship with others and 
it's the beer commercial section of the book. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's true. Yeah. And uh, what always came to my mind is I can, you know, still see a mental movie of this commercial. And I, I don't know what the product is, but it's a high-end vodka. And <laughs> it, it, it shows, you know, these lovely young couples in somebody's backyard and... And uh, the ladies, you know, all have these pretty colorful sundresses on. And conviviality. I yes, think is conviviality is one yeah. of those words. The sundresses. Um, <laughs> and they're holding, you know, pretty, very pretty colorful drinks. And all the guys are standing around the grill, high-fiving each other, just having this great time. And that's this vodka commercial. Yeah. But my commercial doesn't turn out that way. My commercial is more, looks more like... Uh, waking up to the sound of my own pee hitting the floor <laughs> in the corner of my bedroom. And Wait my a second. Wife's... Let me let's stop there because <laughs> I just I, for whatever reason that that's a great description. Waking up to the sound, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Of your own pee yep. hitting the carpet in the corner. Now, why did you go to the corner? Do you have any I, I don't know. I woke up. was already there when I woke up. But the best part is, you know, also hearing from the background, what are you doing? Right? In the middle of the night. <laughs> what does it look like I'm doing? I'm going to the restroom. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what my commercial looks like. One time. Oh, oh! Did just out of curiosity, how did you repair that? Did you do you remember? Did you just like end up soaking it up? <laughs> well, you know, I I hid my drinking uh, from everybody that I could. Yeah. Um, you know, socially, I I drank uh, beer during those times because yeah. beer would never get me in trouble. But um, you know, I made a promise to the woman that I married, and so I became sneaky you know with my drinking and you know one of the things that stuck with me which i found out was not true uh there was a movie um where um about a woman who was an alcoholic and it said in there that she drank vodka because you can't smell it yeah right so that's another if you think about things like that if you notice things like that right. you might be an alcoholic right. too right. so i thought we would try that right and, i think that's um, alcoholics who started that because yeah. i don't think anybody else believes yeah it. it's not true so um I, she thought you know this was during one of those startups that we had and um you know tons of hours and tons of stress and mm. You know, she thought that's what that was all about. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that had something to do with it, too. Gotcha. But there was more to the story. Yeah. Okay, so uh, <coughs> so during that 12 years, uh, obviously it picked up from there. So talk to me then about like how you got in touch or, or how you found Alcoholics Anonymous, your first meeting, uh, what it was like for you, um, you know, the... The, the, the short period, I guess, leading up to that? Well, I guess that before then, there's a, after California, we moved to Hawaii. And um, another, was this another startup? No, this was a, an existing facility that um, I went to lead. But it was a job with the same company, yeah. so you got another transfer. Yeah, on Oahu. Right. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm still... And how many, do you have another child by um, this point? Yeah, we do. We had, Brinson was born in... Um, California uh -huh. um, in 99. So we go to Hawaii and we have a six-year-old and a, and a two-and-a-half-year-old about. No, 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 sorry. Um, a six-month-old and a three-year-old. 
Okay. When we go to Hawaii, and then we got back to Texas was what their ages were. But um, in Hawaii was the first time that, um, you know, my wife, she busted me, um, you know, sneaking, drinking. And um, at that time, I, you know, I started to go to counseling. I remember somebody gave me a big book. I tried to read it. It didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, and I really, um, you know, my sense of responsibility came back in. That's interesting. Someone gave you a big book and it didn't make sense because I know you're a very sharp guy. Right? <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah, I know. I know you are. You're a very sharp man. And I, so the fact that, and I know, obviously, you got through college, right? You know how to read books, the whole yeah, nine yards. Yeah. But you're reading this thing that's at third grade level. But it's kind of going over your head. Yeah, I just, it just, I thought it was ridiculous, um, mm. you know, talking about jaywalking and you know men with no legs and, you know ma ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing it just you know i couldn't get too far through it uh, but i really my sense of responsibility um kicked in and i really um worked hard on managing this again you know and and keeping it in control. Managing this again, managing your drinking is yes. what you mean, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so very... you wanted to control and enjoy. Like, were you thinking about controlling it in terms of uh, quitting controlling, no. or just having having a couple beers and being able to stop? I, you know, I developed. You know, I tried different things, mm-hmm. and there's a part in the book that talks about you know all of these things we tried, and the list goes on. Drinking but, natural wine or whatever. I, I just really limited the amount. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, you know, I put myself, I'm going to make a decision that, you know, I'm going to buy the small bottle and I'm only going to allow myself to have that one small bottle between, um, you know, fr- on the weekend. And then that was going to be it. Mm-hmm. And I would grit myself through the rest of the week. And would you and drink the, the small bottle at home or were you drinking it out out of the eyesight of your wife at home at yeah home. at home but out so of as the long eyesight. as it's, yeah I, oh, oh both I was sneaking at home okay gotcha yeah. gotcha yeah. okay um, so there there was a period there that you know I, I just really uh, mustered up the strength to resist and to control it and um, then we moved to Texas mm-hmm. and. That also another job transfer. Another job transfer. I you bet know. you were glad to be back home. We were, and I had promised her. It's funny when we got married, um, we talked about um, where should we do our honeymoon, and uh, we looked at we wanted to go to a beach, and we looked at Hawaii, and we mm-hmm. looked at Cozumel, and we uh, we paid for most of our wedding, and we needed to pay off some um, school loans and and things like that. So we chose Cozumel because it was much cheaper, and mm-hmm. at that time she. Said, well, you got to promise to take me to Hawaii someday. <laughs> well, <laughs> and uh, so we did that for three and a half years. But we also the the day um, we agreed together to move from Texas to Utah, she prom- made me promise that we'll get back someday because she had a family and a twin sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're back home and everything's going to be better, right? right? Everything's going to be great, and uh, these expectations of what life should be like and. You know, life turned up just life, and um, the uh, and you have to take you wherever you go. I right? do, I do. Wherever I go, there I am. There I am. Um, but um, after that, after we moved home, and um, you know, all of those um, Norman Rockwell type images of yeah. what life was supposed to be like, um, you know, weren't quite what I pictured them to be. 
Um, and you know, I, I, the drinking took over, you know, again, I gave myself over to it and, um, that's when, um, you know, it finally reached a point, um, at the end of 2010 where, um, my wife said, that's it. You know, I've had enough and, um, we've got to do something about this. So she had a friend who, um, knew somebody um, who'd been sober for over 20 years and Alcoholics Anonymous. They were close friends. And she got me his phone number and said, you call this guy or else. Um, so I did. And um, I started meeting with this guy and I started... So to- were you, at that point then, did you feel dejected? <laughs> like this is the worst thing could ever happen to um, me? Did you feel some ray of hope? What, I no, mean- I felt totally ashamed. Um, I felt like a loser. Oh yeah, for a competitor because especially. somebody thinks I'm an alcoholic, right? Right, um, and because somebody else thinks I'm an alcoholic, the the uh, feelings of shame about that were were enormous, and that's still a long way from me getting to the point, you know, where I would accept that I am one. Yeah, and uh, you know, so uh, you know, I remember the very first meeting I ever went to was uh, November the second, two thousand ten. At the Frisco group in the trailer behind the church. Ah, how did you find the group? Was it well, um, like online? You know, I called this guy and he said, you know, you need to go to meetings and you need to uh, uh, you need to go to meetings as a substitute for your drinking, and which didn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> um, but through the perspective of it's a feelings and perception disease, you know, today that makes total sense uh, to me. There's a there's a sense of relief. Uh, you know, when I walk into a meeting, um, you know, I'm with my people, um, you know, and we've all um, been miraculously rescued from this hopeless situation. Um, but I, I remember that meeting. I, I, I chose that meeting because it's close to my office. And, you know, he's talking about you got to go to meetings. And I'm thinking, do you know how busy I am? I mean, I have two young boys. I have, um, you know, an executive position. I work 60 hours a week. I coach my oldest son's soccer team. And, you know, I'm trying to be a dad. I can't go to these meetings. (laughs) Right. So I'm looking around for and I don't want to go anywhere in my community because somebody might know me. Right. You know, somebody might recognize me. So that the first one I went to was the 7 a.m. And I got there real early. Um, oh, and that was another thing that, that comes to mind that's important. I believed that, and I learned back in college somehow, that as long as you could answer the bell the next day, right. you're good. Right. You don't have a problem. Right, like functional alcoholic. That's right. As right. long as you can answer the bell the next day, right. you don't have a problem. You're definitely not an alcoholic, right? right? As long as you can make it all work. <laughs> um but I showed up early. I drove through the parking lot three or four times, you know, to look for, is there a car here that I recognize? You know, yeah. any bumper stickers or parking stickers that might, <laughs> you know, there might be somebody here that might know who I am. And At that time of year, was it dark or was it light? No, it was dark. This dark, was November. Yeah, right? yeah November. Early November. Right. Um, so it was dark, um, you know, and I showed up and I just felt awful, you know, and nothing made sense to me. But 
I have, you know, this sense of responsibility. I made this promise to my wife. You know, I've let her down. Um, and, you know, I'm sure God had a hand in it, too. That Did she know you were getting up going to those meetings? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I had T-shirts made, you know, that I'm meeting with, you know, meeting with John and I'm going to these meetings. But, you know, I got to where I was really proud of myself if I made two meetings a week. And um, but, you know, just the thought of, you know, going to those meetings just it made me sick. Yeah. You know, the um, and once again, it was the I'm a loser. Yeah, and it's is, not. How al- did I get not to alcoholic? This place. I mean, right. is how about the flesh eating, you know, bacteria <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> right. Not alcoholic. And, um, you know, I guess the, the things that matter there is. And I changed sponsors a little bit after that period. Um, in the rooms, people in there reached me. Mm-hmm. With There are people in there who are like me, and there are people in there who are very different than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but telling me about how my insides feel, mm-hmm. um, the voices in the meetings reached me. And I had enough respect for my sponsor... I didn't want to disappoint him. Ah, the um, uh, accountability thing. That's yeah. where it actually came into uh, so, play for you. So through the, you know, um, the, the meetings and steps with my sponsor, you know, this crazy miracle happened. Mm-hmm. You know, where one day all I, you know, I spent so much time and energy about how am I going to drink and not get in trouble? How much inventory do I have? Where is it? How am I going to manage it? You know, every day revolved around being able to successfully drink to suddenly one day realizing that that was just gone. Mm-hmm. It was just not there anymore. Right. Um, he replaced in a position of neutrality, like the book says. It was just not there anymore. Right. And... When I recognized that... So that was in November you came in. How long did it take before you kind of got to that particular well, position? That was still... Um, that was... Um, um, April or so of 2012 mm-hmm. when that happened. So that's like a year and a half later. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I, you know, uh, drug myself to a few meetings a week and tried to work the steps with my sponsor for a year and a half um, continued to drink um, had some periods of sobriety picked up a bunch of chips but really struggled and somewhere in there is when um, I recognized who am I to have an authority on what an alcoholic is that if you can answer the bell in the morning, if you can have a long and successful career, if you can um, and work your butt off in the church. I mean, through all of this time, I was still, you know, a Sunday school teacher and leading the worship team and um, playing guitar and singing and, um, you know, filling any role that needed to be filled at church. I mean, I, my resume looked terrific. Um 
but who am I to say, um, you know, the book talks about the, a mental obsession and a physical craving, you know, for alcohol. It talks about it as an allergy, which I also thought was a, a just a joke. Just what a weak excuse. Um, you know, and that goes back to, you know, the voices saying, you better be careful. Well, I'm not weak like they are. You know, I, I'm not even an authority on how I'm wired, Right. <laughs> Um, if somebody's allergic to peanuts, they can't help it. Uh, it's the way their body reacts. Who am I to say that what's true and what's not? But years and years and years of life experience has proven to me that I am vulnerable to alcohol. It is, to me, what kryptonite is to Superman, right? And... Um, and you have a Superman shirt on I today. I do. That stands for sober. <laughs> Good. So, okay, so we'll talk about that. So now we're up to uh, sobriety. Uh, you're in sobriety. Uh, you've got a sponsor. And, and like you said, okay, it was like a year and a half really kind of started to to sink in, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So did you start going to things besides 7 a.m. meetings at that point? Did you start to branch out? Talk about your experience in sobriety. Yeah, I had started to branch out before then, and I actually, um, you know, my my home group is is in South Lake, mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where my sponsor is, and that's where I met him. But most of my meetings are in Frisco, and that's because I live 35 miles from where I work. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it suddenly became, how do I figure out how to get to a meeting every time I can? Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of... When do I have to I went to two this week right. and being really <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> right. Because, like I said, you guys reached me. Um, I, I knew that the pieces fit. I knew that what you were saying um, in those rooms applied to me. Not everything, of course, um, but there. That's what, one of the great things about it is. Not everybody's going to identify with everybody. You're right. And not everything that's said in a meeting is going to be needed for everybody. Right. But it's definitely needed for somebody. Right. You know, speaking of perspective, I've heard you say something about it, and, I, and I've thought about it many times, actually. You don't know this. You're finding it out for the first time here during the podcast. But you have a, a perspective thing, which you talk about, and that is where the traffic is concerned. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and uh, share that, and uh, because it's helped me. Um, well, I could talk a lot about traffic. Well, <laughs> um, can you lead me a little closer? Uh, you, you say that... There's a kind of a, a, a Jedi, that's another oh. thing, is a, a Jedi trick that you use for traffic when you're in traffic. Well, there's lots of Jedi mind tricks that I use on myself, um, which is kind of related to the reading that I brought in. I have to be constantly reminded what I am, and I have to constantly be reminded what I need to do about it. And the way that I make that kind of fun and also effective for me is I use these Jedi mind tricks and you know traffic is just a great example of how you're dealing with life as to how you respond to traffic mm -hmm. and uh, you know I went through I lived half a lifetime thinking that um, everybody sees any situation the same way 
that they all have the same perspective that I do. And that's the definition of self-centeredness. <laughs> right. But if you have, you know, one traffic example would be, you know, four cars heading towards a traffic signal that turns yellow, you're going to get three different responses to that at least. <laughs> right. But they're all seeing the same thing. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that I was a real awakening for me that life's not a math equation where, you know, the variables present themselves and you all reach the same answer through the same process. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And, um, you know, I can tell how I'm doing uh, spiritually because, you know, what I read, you must uh, develop a basis of living spiritually or else um, by how I respond to traffic. There's always going to be an asshole in traffic. <laughs> Um, and you know, my natural instinct is to fantasize that I have laser vision and could chop off or shave off the back, you know, the bottom third of his back tires and cause him to crash. But, you know, one of the things that I've been taught in the rooms is to respond differently to that. Well, not, first of all, not react to it and to respond to it. And um, instead of telling that guy he's number one, um, you know, remembering that that person is God's kid, too, and, you know, ease his suffering, whatever it is, um, you know, that helps me so much to, because once the, once the anger engine gets, you know, kicks into gear, it only picks up speed, you know, and everything piles on the top of it. So I don't know if that's what you were thinking about. Actually, it's not, but that was good. The other thing that I've actually heard you say before is, I am not in traffic. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not in traffic. I am traffic. I am traffic. I'm not stuck in traffic. I am right. traffic. And that's, you know, this whole idea the book talks about self-centeredness. We think that is the root of our troubles. And, you know, we can't... I've developed a new perspective that I can't turn off my self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. Nobody can. Mm-hmm. We are self-centered by nature and we don't even know it. And, you know, that idea of I'll be late because I'm stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. It's all about you. It's right. all about me, right? <laughs> no, if I weren't out if out there, <laughs> you know, I'm contributing to the traffic. <laughs> I'm part of the issue. In another way that that shows up the most practical way that you can see self-centeredness that I've noticed is in dealing with an elevator. You know, if you've ever been on an elevator where you come down and the doors open and people try to get on before you get get off, (laughs) everybody knows you should empty it before you fill it. Don't they know? But those people that are waiting for the elevator, they're thinking about them. That's right. It's coming for me. That's right. Right? No, mm-hmm. it serves us all. It does. All right, the last thing I want to talk about here before we sign off, and that is you, you um, I don't know if you call it a, a reputation, that sounds bad, but you have a, uh, you're known in our group, at least known by me, <laughs> as kind of the text guy, okay? Wow. And what I mean by that, remember earlier I said we have written proof that you actually read the literature, because I know you do? Yeah. Because if I were to go back through my text, I could probably bring up, I, I don't know, couple hundred different texts that you have sent out and you don't send it just to me right you send it to anybody else and by the way if you're not on tony's text list you should be nicer to tony 
and he will put you on his list. Well, <laughs> uh, but Tony sends that text on. I, I, it depends on your schedule. I wouldn't say every day, but it's it's close to every day. Eighty percent. All right, you 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 send out um, uh, snippets, if you will, mainly from the literature. Every once in a while, I'll see things that are outside the literature <laughs> that are actually funny. But so, tell me how that got started. Uh, you know, what yeah. your process for selecting those things is. And oh wow, what an interesting question. Um, so we talked earlier about Jedi mind tricks mm-hmm. that I. Um, I use things on myself because I need to be reminded mm-hmm. of what I am and what I need to do. Um, and going to meetings is great, but um, you know we can't always go to meetings. And working with others is great. Um, but when when we talked earlier about in meetings, there's somebody for everybody. Um, you know the 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 few that I send a text to, um, there are people that I can really hear, okay, when I'm in those meetings. There are people that communicate in a way that I really hear and I really identify with. And that's that's how you got on the list, right? And your summit and the reason that I do that is because it keeps me accountable to um, keeping my nose in the literature. And it keeps me in contact with other alcoholics. That's great. So, how, when you when you pick it out, is it just kind of uh, random? Is it part of your just whatever you come yeah, across? No, I'm right? not like hunting. You know, I call it an inspiration. Okay. I don't know something that hits you that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I do. I have a process. So, like every and you've heard me say this many many times. Another Jedi mind trick or picture that I use is. It's important for me every day, um, as close to the beginning of the day as I can, to hand the keys over to God and crawl in the back seat. Believe there is a God. I know it's not me, mm-hmm. and I must have His help, um, or else. Mm-hmm. So part of the of what I do is um, I have a prayer and meditation routine that I do as part of. Um, growing my spiritual life and I have my nose and and I have a system like I read two pages a day at least from our literature almost every day and um, when something um, strikes me um, I share that uh, with you know a few folks that um, like I said I'm really can hear Um, and I enjoy doing it um, but you know, the, I guess the root of it is a little bit selfish, right? Because it keeps yeah. me um, vigilant, right. you know, in, in what I'm supposed to be doing every day. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's selfish in a good way, mm-hmm. and, and I completely get it. And I, I said the last thing earlier, but I, <laughs> I, I do want you to address before you leave something we talked about here before you actually uh, uh, got on the podcast real quick, and that is uh, you talked about how when you were when you were first uh, sober listening to, to tapes or things like to kind, of, to kind of keep you in the groove. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I think when I first came in... Um, I was really trying to figure this thing out. And even as I tried to work the steps, um, you know, a, a management, analytical, mathematical kind of mind, um, charts and diagrams, um, I was really trying to figure, um, 
figure this out. And I'm I'm sorry. What was your question again? Uh, when you first got into the when you first got into the group, you, or when you first got into the program, you you talked about listening to particular. Oh like, yeah yeah tapes yeah. And stuff there like. we go. So. Um, you know, I found that once in a while I heard something that um, really stuck with me in a meeting, and once in a while I um, would see something in the book that I would agree with or that would stick out to me. Um, but I um, I started uh, hunting for um, AA speakers, and I found that there were there's stuff on the internet. Right. And uh, one of the first ones I heard was um, Jerry Jones. Um, you know, from Lake Whitney, um, he's passed away um, now, but um, he was a Texas lawyer and he told his story of, and that that was a huge part of me um, softening my position on whether or not I'm an alcoholic. It was, I, I gave in a little bit resisting um, or believing that I'm not you know, I'm too strong or too responsible to, or too successful or whatever to be an alcoholic. He told this story about his dog um, and his dog getting a fight with a with a wild hog and um, it not working out so good for the dog, but the dog would do it anyway, <laughs> right? And um, so I listened to that over and over and then I found more and more. So that kind of... Um, allowed me um, to meditate on things, to think about things, to um, to hear it from another perspective, um, and allowed me more access to um, this design for living, which you know is is a whole another thing we didn't talk about. But I I felt like you know for half a lifetime you'll hear people say once once in a while that I feel is very true that. I was absent the day they handed out the instruction manual for life, <laughs> you know, the owner's manual. And, you know, I have found the instructions that were given um, in the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous is, um, is that instruction manual for life. It is a design for living that I have found to be extremely rewarding and successful. And one more thing, I keep going on here because, because I'm interested in this, right? You talk about the big book and the owner's manual for life, but can you, can, and I know you came from a religious background, right? A religious, whatever you want, in churchy kind of background. Yep. Have you been over to, to dovetail those two together uh, since coming to the program? Um, you know, probably not um, in the way that you'd be asking that question. I find that... Um, um, I think what I hear in the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous is very consistent with what I heard, you know, for the first half of my life, you know, heavily involved in church. And um, I think that um, there's also a lot of um, man, man-made um, drama and... Um, self-centeredness everywhere you go um even in church right and um i'm not opposed to it at all but um you know my spiritual growth has come through you know if you read pages 86 87 and 88 Mm -hmm. um in the big book um it kind of tells you how to live your life and uh you know i have the best relationship with god that i've ever had um 
And, um, you know, the book warns us that if we fail to enlarge our spiritual life, we will end up drinking again. And for me, uh, to drink is to die. I'm vulnerable to alcohol. There is no doubt about that. The scoreboard shows it very clearly and all the statistics. Um, so, you know, I'm really grateful that um, there is a solution. And there is, you know, there are millions of people out there who feel it their responsibility to pass it on. Yeah. Not only a responsibility, but a pleasure, mm. you know, and a joy. Yeah. It's a reward. Yeah. You know, to get to... There are people out there that are helplessly dying, you know, from alcoholism. It's not a fair fight. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> if you're an alcoholic yeah. and you're drinking... Um, you're doomed. Yeah. And the the fact that, you know, this has been going on since the 30s and um, it has stayed pretty pure to what it is. Uh, there's no um, growth agenda. You know, there's no, we need a bigger campus, you know, and more acres and kids programs. <laughs> and, you know, we're happy at the Frisco Group to have a restroom. Um <laughs> But it's it's pure, selfless humanity. Yeah. You know, us looking out for each other and others. It, and just the whole idea that, you know, I had no idea, you know, um, that all this was going on, that mm-hmm. I was doomed um, and would have been if it hadn't have been, you know, for you guys in that little trailer behind the church in Frisco. A true godsend. Yep. I get it. Uh, yeah, so to, to Tony's point real quick, if you're out there and you're listening to this uh, and you are still continuing the uh, unfair fight, <laughs> as uh, Tony referred to it, um, I've heard this said in many ways uh, in many different uh, uh, rooms across the United States and Canada, and that is... Uh, there's good news and bad news. The good news is there's an answer. The bad news is it's guys like me and Tony. Yeah, it's us. So we'd love <laughs> to have you in. All right. Well, Tony D., thank you so much. I sure did enjoy that. Um, once again, I want to thank uh, uh, Christina and Don C. for going to our website, uh, clicking on the Donate tab and submitting a contribution. We welcome your thoughts and feedback. We would absolutely love to hear from you guys out there. Tell me what you think about Tony. Tell me what you think about the format of the meeting. Excuse me, the format of the uh, podcast. Uh, tell me if there's any topics that you want to hear about. Um, reach out to me at feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at Soberspeak, that's all one word, dot com. Um, also, I want to know how you're listening to us, right? I'd love to know how you found us for the first time. By the way, I can see, just so you know, Tony, um, I can see out there from the statistics we, we get, we're hearing from people in, I think there's approximately 28 different countries, and I'd love to know how you guys are finding our podcast. Uh, and uh, I think there's only five states in the United States where we have not been heard yet. So uh, I know you're out there, and we're going to come to your doorstep if you don't tell us how you're finding us. Right? <laughs> I got your address. I'm just kidding. We can just see countries. Uh, I'm going to end it with this. 
Page 164 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Sucks if you don't. <laughs> he added that. I didn't ask him to add that. <laughs> it's 